After church service on a Sunday morning, a little boy and his mom were, were leaving the church. And he said, Mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. She said, well, what's that? He said, I want to be a pastor. She said, well, that's great. What made you decide to want to become a pastor? He says, well, I have to be in church every Sunday anyway. I thought it would be funner to stand up and yell at everybody than sit down and listen. <laughs> so hopefully I won't be doing much yelling at you this morning. But uh, <clears throat> we're in the book of Acts. And uh, every year after Easter, we do a chapter by chapter, verse by verse teaching the book of Acts. And then uh, yeah, we end uh, right around half, you know, in through, into the summer. And then we pick up the following year wherever we left off. So we're in chapter 13. Uh, we've entitled this uh, chapter, uh, Old Ways Won't Open New Doors. And I want to read from Acts chapter 13, beginning verse 1. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online, of course. Here we go. Now in the church that was at Antioch, remember that started, it's mentioned in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. That's where believers were first called Christians. There, was a certain, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. God, what a privilege it is to study the scriptures. We don't take this for granted. We know so many through the years, lost their lives in order for us to be able to have the Word of God in written form and now even in digital form. Thank you that we can come and study, that we can be students of the Word of God, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, not unto men, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So Holy Spirit, come. You're the author of this, of this glorious book. Bring illumination to our hearts and minds, and thank you for bringing this message home in each of our hearts in a personal way. I pray and ask your grace and blessing now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We left off last week talking about how this was a significant church and in this church, prophets and teachers, and there's a ministry team that's about to be sent out. It's so beautiful when people don't just leave a church, but they're sent out from that church. Barnabas and Saul are about to be sent out of the church at Antioch because, well, this is a significant moment in the history of the Christian church because in chapter 13, this is when Paul or Saul officially becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. We're seated here today and you're a Christian today because of what took place thousands of years ago here in Acts 13. This is when the gospel is going to go beyond just the Jews to out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now the uttermost parts of the earth. And we talked about how healthy this church in Antioch was. It had, it had prophets, it had teachers, it had worship and fasting and devoted ministry and the Holy Spirit was there. And the members in that church embraced their individual callings from the Lord. But there was also something that took place. Before Barnabas and Saul were sent out, they laid hands on them and sent them out. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 2, it talks about the ministry of laying on of hands. Uh, this is a very important ministry throughout the Bible when hands are laid on, either to transfer a blessing, to impart healing, or to confer a calling as people are being sent out. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 15. This is what it says about our precious Lord and Savior. It says, and Jesus took them, the children, took them in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. That is a powerful uh, practice for parents and grandparents to be able to do. To lay your hands on children and to bless them. Children's ministry workers, children's pastors, any of you that have an opportunity to come across the path of children, uh, you should practice 
what Jesus did, the example that he did, he would lay hands on the children and impart a blessing. A blessing can be and is transferred uh, when a loving hand is placed upon a child and words of blessing are spoken over them. Jesus went on to say in the Gospel of, of Mark, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, he said, And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Uh, what a powerful promise that the Lord will heal people if we will simply, in his name, lay hands on the sick. They can recover. We believe and take God's word literally here at Trinity, and that's why during worship we have a time where we call our ministry team to the front at the altar, and we invite you to come and be prayed for. Sometimes you might need somebody to lay hands on you and to pray for you for a, a physical healing or maybe a, an emotional healing or some healing in your life. Matter of fact, in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, Any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And if they've committed any sins, it shall be forgiven. And so in, there in James 5, God's word says we're to call for the elders of the church. And they're to anoint us with oil. And, and we can experience a physical, miraculous healing when we simply take God at his word and act in faith. There's another type of laying on of hands, and Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22, writing to Timothy many years later from what we're reading here in Acts 13, he said, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, or, nor share in other people's sins, keep yourself pure. In other words, Paul was instructing his young protege, Timothy, make sure that you don't promote a novice to office. Don't be premature in promoting somebody to a, a position of leadership authority. Because if they're not trained, if they're not prepared, if they haven't developed character, they, may have a lot, they might have a lot of talent. Uh, but if they don't have a lot of character, then they're going to self-implode. So you don't lay hands on anyone. You don't confer a calling or a separating to a special office prematurely. So when the early church here in Antioch laid hands on Saul and Barnabas, it wasn't so much to confer a blessing or to pray for their healing. It was, it was what... The principle that's found here in 1 Timothy 5.22, it was to send them out for an important ministry, an important work. So they're sent out. We'll pick up now in verse 5. Here's what happens next, Acts 13.5. And when they arrived, Barnabas and Saul and his ministry team, in Salamis, they preached the word of God. Say that with me. They preached the word of God. Say it again. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So you've got to love it. They, they're, they're sent out of the church. After prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. Separate Barnabas and Paul, Saul, for the work where until I've called them. They go to this place called Salamis, and they find a local synagogue. Local synagogues in the time of Jesus and the time of Paul were like local churches where believers, Jewish people, would gather. They weren't converted to Christ yet. So Saul now and Barnabas would go to these synagogues filled with Jews and some Gentiles that had proselytized and had become Jews. And what did they do? They preached the word of God. When you talk about pillars uh, of a healthy church, you need to make sure that worship is involved there, prayers involved, and fasting, that people are devoted to the ministry of the Lord. We talked about the ministry of reconciliation. The, the believers in that church need to embrace their individual calling to serve Christ. Uh, there's the, the practice or the ministry of laying on of hands, but most importantly, they're, the word of God is preached. So they go to this synagogue, and they don't just share their testimony, nothing wrong with that. But they preach the word of God in that synagogue to the Jews. Now why to the Jews? 
Well, later on, when, when the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome, he says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and this is very important for us today. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God and the sal- salvation unto everyone who believes, listen now, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You know, the gospel should always be preached first to the Jew because they need to be saved. You're not getting to heaven just because you're a Jew. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. They are blessed, highly blessed of the Lord. They are the covenant people of God. But uh, there's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. He's Lord and Savior. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the good news must be preached to the Jew first, but it doesn't end there. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. And then the rest of the world. Really, in God's eyes, according to 1 Corinthians 10, there are only three types of people in the world. I know we like to divide and we like to maybe differentiate based on age or race or gender. But in the Bible, God looks at the world and he sees three groups of people, three groupings of individuals, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, no matter what your race is. And if you're saved, you're not a Jew or a Gentile. You may have Jewish roots, you have a Gentile background, but now you're considered this third group of people in the earth called the church, the called out ones, sons and daughters of the Most High God. So the Word of God, though, should first be preached to the Jews. And what did they preach? Well, they preached the Word of God. They preached the Word of God. You know, many churches are departing from the preaching of the Word of God, and the Word of God must be paramount in our lives, in these confused, troubled times in which we find ourselves living in. We need to make sure that we're building our lives, we're building our marriages, we're building our families, we're building our churches, and yes, we're building our business and businesses, and yes, we're building our country on the Word of God, and that's what has made America great. Was that America was founded on Christianity, on the principles of the Word of God. But here's what's also neat in that verse that we read. Barnabas and Saul, their ministry team had an assistant. Thank God for all the assistants out there. Thank God for all of you that have been or will be or are assistants. We couldn't make it without assistants. Imagine, before there was an Alexa or a Siri, there was a guy by the name of John that assisted Barnabas and Saul in the work whereunto the Lord had called them. Now, John is introduced to us here, and he becomes a significant player in this chapter and in the 15th chapter in particular of Acts. John was the nephew of Barnabas. Barnabas was his uncle. And he was a part of the ministry team. He was learning the ropes, all right? He was being mentored. He was under the tutelage of his uncle Barnabas, who was a great man of God, son of encouragement. And he was their assistant. He later on becomes the Mark, John Mark, that wrote the gospel of of Mark. So uh, we celebrate uh, John and and him being willing to assist Barnabas and Saul in this missionary endeavor. Now once again, pillars of a healthy church. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're looking for a home church. Maybe one day you're going to move to another city and and one of the first things you should look for is a church. Many times people move from city to city based on work. You should really move from city to city based on church. Okay, because that's where God's blessing, the channel, the source of God's blessing in your life is based on your connection to that local body, to that local church. 
And so if you are shopping for a church, you need to make sure that it's a worshiping church, it's a praying church, it's a fasting church, it's a church devoted to the ministry of reconciliation, it's a church that believes in the, the, the person, the, the work, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a place where the Holy Spirit speaks. You need to be in a place where the members of that church embrace their individual callings to follow Christ, where they practice the ministry of laying on of hands, and most importantly, uh, along with the Holy Spirit speaking, God's word is being preached. But when this happens, when there's worship and prayer and fasting and the Holy Spirit is present and the word of God is being preached, it's going to stir up the enemy. And sure enough, look at what happens now in Acts 13 as we continue our story in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So as they are following the leading of the Lord and, the, and, they're, and they're preaching the word of God, it started in the, in the synagogue to the Jews first. They're in a place called Paphos. And Paphos was, it basically represented the entire pagan world at that time. Paphos was a depraved city. Uh, the, the, they worshipped Venus, which was the goddess of sex there in Paphos. And isn't it amazing that, that without any hesitation, without any intimidation, Barnabas and Saul go to this place because they're going to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as soon as they get there, anointed ministry stirs up the enemy and the devil shows up in the form of this sorcerer by the name of Bar Jesus. Now, uh, that doesn't represent a local pub in that city that you would go to to have a few drinks. Uh, this guy was a deceiver. He was a false prophet. Anytime you and I embrace the true gospel of Christ and the presenting of that gospel under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we preach the word of God, it's going to aggravate the devil. It's going to stir up the devil. There's a new, new movie out called A Quiet Place and it's about a family that's trying to survive in a dystopian period era and they have to remain silent. They have to remain quiet because these creatures hunt you based on if they hear you. So the movie's about them being quiet and being silent because if not, the enemy will come and devour you. You know, it's kind of like we're living in a quiet place in the body of Christ today. It's like the devil has intimidated Christians to be quiet, to be silent. Because once you and I start worshiping God with passion and authenticity and excitement and energy, when you and I start praying and fasting and preaching the word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to stir up the devil. We're going to become a target for the enemy. He's content and happy as long as you and I remain silent. But once you and I begin to apply the word of God and preach the word of God and speak the word of God and confront the evil of our time and of our day, the devil isn't going to be all too happy. But aren't you thankful that we are overcomers? That Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We're not on the losing team. We're on the winning team. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of God in their testimony, and loving not their lives even unto the death. But isn't it interesting? As soon as the gospel is being preached, the devil's ugly head is reared up in the form of sorcery. You know, in the Bible, God forbids and God condemns all and any occultic practices. 
Look at what God says and how clearly he states his opposition to any form of the occult. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. When you enter the land of the Lord, your God, that he's given you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. That's the Old Testament version of abortion. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Do you think God left anything out on this list? (laughs) I think he covered every base there, right? Just in case you didn't hear it, he goes on. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord, your God, will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord, your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers. But the Lord, your God, forbids, say that with me, forbids, say it again, forbids you to do such things. So God is 100% opposed and against any occultic practices whatsoever. Now why? For three reasons. Number one, the occult is rebellion against God. Any occultic activity God condemns because any practice in the occult is open rebellion against God. Whether it's child sacrifice, whether it's fortune telling of all sorts, tarot card readings and palm reading, Ouija boards, hypnosis, horoscopes. I know there are people in here today. Regularly, you read your horoscope. If you want to be a Jesus person, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to honor God and revere God and love God, and if you want the full blessing of God upon your life, you need to cease and desist of reading your horoscope. Read the holy book, not your horoscope, because God knows more about your future than some crazy internet person. People get involved in mind-altering drugs as part of occultic practices. So number one, God's against it because it's rebellion against him. Number two, the occult is Satan's trap. He uses the lure of black magic the lure of the forbidden and bizarre underworld of Satan's domain to attract us. I saw an article where many millennials are not going to church or leaving the church and involving themselves in spiritism and spiritualism in a Christless, crossless, bloodless, word of godless form of occultic practice. And it's Satan's trap. I can remember when I was a young kid, I mean first and second grade, I had a fascination with black magic. I had a fascination with the occult. I can remember, I don't know how it came about, but I had a Ouija board. I guess there's some, you know, uh, not good parenting back then in that particular area. And uh, my, my folks thought it was just a game that kids could play with. And so we played with it. We would have seances. As a little kid, I remember we'd have friends over and we would practice levitation. And they, we might think, oh, these things are innocent and cute. No, they're not. They're a door that opens the enemy, can open the, the powers of hell into a person's life. This is a gospel true story. Let me tell you, I was, I was using the Ouija board one time with my sister, and, and I want to know how I was going to die. And that thing guided me, and it basically revealed that I would die in a train crash. 
Listen, this thing began to communicate in ways that it, it as a young kid, I'm, I'm a child, I shouldn't be playing with a Ouija board. I got so afraid, I took that thing and I threw it away. I don't know how it happened, but the next day it was in my room again. I don't know if my parents were playing a joke on me. They never told me that they were. I don't know if my sister was playing a joke on me. Or I don't know if the devil got it out of the trash can and put it back in my room. But I was mortified when I saw that Ouija board back in my room. I think I went out and I broke it to pieces and buried it there in the dirt. It's there in Gallup, New Mexico right now because that's where I was living. Shortly after that, hallelujah, we left Gallup. I never want to go back. Amen. But I was freaked out. Because there is this attraction. But listen, let me tell you something. Kurt Koch, 30 years ago, studied fortune tellers and occultism. And he found out that 95% of all fortune telling, reading of palms and tarot cards and all of that, it's mumbo jumbo. It's a fraud. It's chicanery. It's deception. It's to rob you of your money. He said about 5% of it in his studies was what he called extrasensory powers. Let me tell you something. The devil does have power. Not as much power as God. Can't even begin to be compared to the power of God. But the devil has power. The devil has lines, signs, and wonders. And the book of Revelation tells us that in the last days, Satan will work miracles. The Antichrist, the, the false prophet, they'll work miracles to deceive the very elect that Jesus said. If you're not careful, that even the very elect will be deceived in these last days. He talks about in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. So you need to be on your guard, spiritually speaking. You better know that you know Jesus on a personal level as your personal Lord and Savior so that you can spot a counterfeit Christ that will come along. You need to make sure that you're in the Word of God for yourself, that you're reading and studying and memorizing the Word of God, that you're basing your life and your faith and your future and your decisions based on the Word of God. Because the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He comes to lie and beguile and deceive. The devil does have power. You remember the story in the book of Exodus when Moses went to confront Pharaoh and the powers of evil and the darkness that were holding back God's people. Moses threw down his rod and it became a serpent. Pharaoh's magicians did the exact same thing. They threw down their sticks and they also became serpents, but God's power is greater than the enemy's power. If you read the story there in Exodus, Moses' snake ate up Pharaoh's magicians' snakes and devoured them all. I want you to know when the power of the devil is confronted by the power of God, the power of God wins every time. Can we thank him for his mighty power? The third reason why God opposes the occult and all forms of occultic practice is because it perverts the truth of God. There's an interesting story that you could read later in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Perhaps you've already read it. I hope you have. This is the story of King Saul. He's about to lose his life in, in a final battle. God has left him because Saul has rebelled against God. His presence and spirit has been lifted from Saul's life. Saul is confused and terrified about things that are developing in his life. Instead of turning to God in repentance, he turns to the witch of Endor. He banned witchcraft earlier, but he goes and he finds this witch of Endor, and he disguises himself, and he pays her to bring up the dead, the, the dead prophet Samuel. That's what spiritism is in mediums. Let me tell you something. Don't ever think for a moment that if you go to a spiritist and they're able to communicate with the dead, that they're able to give you a message from beyond from your loved one. That is a lie and a deception from hell. Some people say, well, Pastor Carl, I know my dead grandmother or my dead grandfather or my dead so-and-so appeared in my room. That was not them. The Bible's very clear when a soul dies. It either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. There's no getting out. What you've experienced is what the Bible calls a familiar spirit. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We're going to look at that verse here in just a moment. And he appears in different forms and fashions to deceive and beguile people. And that's why you must know the word of God. 
and you must reject any manifestation. A spiritist cannot bring back to life someone that has died, but they can bring forth a familiar evil spirit. So what happens here in 1 Samuel 28? There's much controversy in the theological world as to what happened because no sooner does this woman conjure up a spell that Samuel, the prophet, rises from the earth. The Old Testament, whenever an Old Testament saint died, they went to a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom. Jesus talks about that in the Gospel of Luke. So Samuel comes up. It is actually Samuel. We know it because of by what he says and how he rebukes Saul and by the shock of the witch herself because she'd never brought up a real dead person, only evil spirits. This was the one time that God sovereignly allowed it to take place to further rebuke his anointed king that was now backslidden. So God hates and forbids the occult because it's a perversion of the truth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse beginning verse 13 because Satan is the master of deception. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, the devil has ministers. The devil has people in politics, in entertainment, in, in athletics, in, in religion. He has ministers everywhere that preach his message to deceive and to distort and to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. The sad thing is Christian people, unfortunately, are some of the most naive and gullible people in this world today. They don't know the Lord. They don't know the Holy Spirit. They don't know the leading of the Holy Spirit. And they don't know the Word of God. And so they are opening themselves up to being deceived by the enemy. You see, we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. Darkness is sweeping across the globe in these last days. And we must put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles and the strategies of the enemy. As Paul the Apostle talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 through verse 21. We must be prepared and ready for battle. We must never fear the enemy. As the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't say no weapon will try to be formed against you. But when the enemy tries to form a weapon against you, it shall not prosper prosper. And the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Aren't you thankful that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? And we don't have to fear the enemy. He should fear us. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 17, it says, "In the 70 returned with joy after Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel because they came in contact with, demon, with people demon-possessed. And they couldn't believe that demons were subject to them in the name of Christ. In the name of Christ, they had authority and power. And Jesus said, yes, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. But don't rejoice that demons are subject to you in my name. Rather rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. Come on, let's thank God that our name is written down in heaven. But spiritual warfare is real. It's real. I remember uh, shortly after I got saved, I was full of zeal, but not very much knowledge, and that's a a bad combination. A lot of zeal, little knowledge. And I remember I got the, the local newspaper and I went to the, uh, to the ad section of my local newspaper and I was looking up all these people that were advertising fortune telling. And I thought, I'm going to do the Lord's work. And I picked up the phone and, and I dialed a fortune teller. And they answered the phone. 
I said, I am a man of God, and on behalf of the kingdom of God, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus. And I take authority over that demon spirit. You're lying and deceiving people. And the person on the other end said, well, who is this? Why don't you and I meet, and we'll see who has more power. I said, I have more power through Christ. And then this person on the other end said, I can see you now. You're a young man, darker skin, dark hair, medium built. And I thought, oh, my Lord. This, this is before iPhones and FaceTime and all that. This is an old rotary phone. You know what I'm talking about? You say, what did you do, Pastor Carl? I did what any fearless man of God would do. I hung up the phone, started praying in the Holy Ghost. I just was recently filled with the Holy Spirit, and I began to take authority over those demon spirits. I, I was hoping that they wouldn't call back or knock on my door. I called my sister up and said, hey, this is what just happened. I couldn't believe it. She said, well, honey, she said, you know, you shouldn't be look, go looking for trouble. If trouble comes your way, you handle it. But not even the disciples went looking for the devil. I said, okay, I'll never do that again. And so I haven't. I've never backed down from a spiritual fight, but I've never gone looking for a spiritual fight. Think of the spiritual battle that Dietrich Bonhoeffer fought for the Lord. He was that glorious German pastor, theologian, spy, and Nazi dissident. He was the key founding member of what was called the Confessing Church. Because in Germany, you had the backslidden church, you had the, you had the hypocritical church, and then you had the confessing church. Christians who gathered together to pray and worship and confronted the evil of their day, confronted Hitler and Nazism. And because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he could have fled to America, and for a short time he went to America, and then the Lord convicted him, and he said, I must be with my flock, I must be with my people. And he went back to Germany to fight the good fight of faith and to confront the evil of Nazism. And as a result of it, he was put in a concentration camp and he gave his life for the cause of Christ. He ended up writing one of the most glorious books for all Christians to read, The Cost of Discipleship. He engaged in the spiritual warfare. He didn't back down from that spiritual warfare. And in our classic service, a man came out and said, I am the grandson of an SS soldier that was in Nazi Germany. And now he's forgiven his, his, the blood of Jesus. He, that curse is broken over his life because he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Thank God for those who don't run in the face of evil but confront the evil of their time and are unafraid to call it out for what it is. Thank God for the Corrie Tin Boons. She would have never ended up in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück had she not hidden Jews. Did what she could do to fight the evil of her day. Listen. There is a cost to being a sincere, devoted follower of Jesus Christ that is willing to stand up for Christ and preach the word of God and let your light shine in a dark, dark world because the world hates God. The world hates Jesus Christ. The world hates the holy commands and the holy laws of God. But you and I are to continue to take a stand for what is righteous, for what is true, for what is moral. And even if our world castigates you and, and people assault you and attack you, you must Choose sides. <laughs> Make sure you're on the winning team. Make sure you're on the right team. Because after it's all said and done, those who stand with God shall never be shaken. We all have our own Isle of Paphos where we will confront the sorcery and the occultic, demonic activity of the enemy. So here's what happens. Look at verse 7 out of Acts chapter 13. Who was this bar Jesus was with the proconsul, this very powerful, influential political leader. And what you have to understand is demon powers attach themselves to politics. Political power attracts the demonic by virtue of it being a, a 
influence and a power over people, over the masses. Demon spirits attach themselves to mass media. Demon spirits attach themselves to entertainment. And so this, this evil person was a part of this pro-council's entourage, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alamus, the sorcerer, for that is his name translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So this guy comes, he interferes with Paul and Barnabas sharing the gospel with the, with the proconsul. And here's what you need to know. In verse 9, if we can go back, oh, right here, right here, verse 9. Notice it, it says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, this is the last time Saul is used. This is the first time his new name, which really Paul is the Gentile version of the Jewish name Saul. He now becomes known as Paul for the rest of the writing of Holy Scriptures. From Saul to Paul, because when you and I confront evil, when you and I are in our most intense spiritual conflict in battle, something can happen, something can change. God can use it to cause you to go to a whole nother level. So then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, to the, at the sorcerer, and he said this, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You imagine the apostle Paul pronounced a curse over Elymas the sorcerer. Why? Because number one, he was filled with evil. Paul was filled with the Spirit. This man was filled with evil. Number two, Satan was his father. Saul, uh, Paul called him son of the devil, S-O-D. What's an S-O-D? A son of the devil. That makes the devil your father. Gave you a new word to use again. <laughs> Thirdly, he was a friend to wickedness. Because he was the enemy of all righteousness. And finally, he falsified the truth. He perverted the right ways of the Lord. So here's what happened. Look at verse 11 now. And now, this is Paul talking. Indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately, a dark mist fell on Bar-Jesus, Elymas. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Can you imagine the power of God that showed up through the Apostle Paul in that particular instance? Could you imagine if that happened today? What the average Christian, how the average Christian on social media would respond. Can't believe Paul was so hateful. He was a nice man. Paul is a sorcerer phobe. How could Paul do? I could see it now. I could see Alamus, the sorcerer, calling his lawyers and, and filing a lawsuit against the Apostle Paul for the imperable damage that he caused him that day. But Paul didn't back down from the evil of his day. Paul wasn't afraid of the consequences. Paul was engaged in a spiritual warfare. A soul was hanging in the balance. Let me tell you something, church. The soul of this nation and the souls of the nations of the world are hanging in the balance. And God is counting on you. And God is counting on me to let our light shine, to let our voices be heard, to not be, shh, don't say anything. Keep quiet. The devil wants a muted church, but the church needs to be louder than ever with the praises of God and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ.
And if the devil wants a fight, then the fight the devil's going to have because we're not going to back down. And I know we fight not against flesh and blood. We battle not against flesh and blood. But in the flesh, there was a man that represented the kingdom of darkness. And in the flesh, there was a man that represented the kingdom of heaven. And when light collides with darkness, light wins every time. When the power of God collides with the power of the enemy, the power of God wins every time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah for the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah for the word that's in our testimony. Hallelujah that we love not our lives even unto the death. And then how did it end? Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul, this influential leader who was searching out to hear the word of God from Barnabas and Paul, believed. He became a believer when he saw, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, we, we need more people today being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Not so much for what they hear, but for what they witness, for what they see, the power of God in demonstration. You can experience God's power in your life. You can experience God's power through your life. But as your pastor, I love you and I must command, the Bible says command every, every man everywhere to repent. In the book of Acts it says command every man everywhere to repent. And that includes women. I command you in love, but I command you with boldness in the name of Jesus. If you've been dabbling in the occult, in any form of the occult, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, repent of it right now. May the power of Christ fill your life. Whatever void may be in your heart and in your life that you're seeking out the, 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 the forbidden dark domain of Satan's world, which really is a trap, that you would turn to faith in Christ. You would not be like Saul that's seeking out the witch of Endor. That you would be wise as a serpent but as gentle as a dove. That you would not be part of the great falling away in these last days. The great apostasy. That you would not be gullible and naive. That you would clearly know right from wrong and good from evil. And yet you would choose right and you would choose good. And that you're building your life on the eternal revealed will of God found in the word of God. Because this is what will make you strong and keep you strong in these troubled times. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit speaking here in Acts 13 in the book book of Acts at the Church of Antioch. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the hearts of men and women today. Those that are watching on social media. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us. Thank you for the clear message that heaven is sending us today. That we would hear it and we would act upon it. I thank you for men and women repenting of any form of occultism, Lord. In Jesus' name, set them free by the power of your Holy Spirit. Wash them by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father for them turning to you in faith. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. I want you to say it with your own mouth, and I want you to mean it from your own heart. For the Bible says if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Souls are hanging in the balance. You need to be praying to yourself, child of God, those of you that are about to recommit or dedicate your life to Christ, here we go. Dear God in heaven, 
I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?